Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everyone in between. You are on the sidelines with the Sideline Guys for another very special MMA edition of the Sideline Guys. Today, I'm going to be joined by my brother in arms, the, the second Negron, but always comes first in the fans' hearts, my guy, Sean Negron. How's it going, man? It's going well. It's going well. Glad to be doing this part two. Uh, really excited about it. We got some uh, interesting cards coming up and uh, looking forward to getting into it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's always a fun episode whenever I have you on. Really excited to wrap up these divisions and, of course, uh, keep dragging you back in, forcing you against your will to just keep running these breakdowns with me. It's, it's going to be great. Kicking and screaming. Sean has come to play and always does it a phenomenal job. So thanks again uh, for taking the time. This week, we're going to be taking taking up right where we left off last time starting with the featherweight division uh so whenever you're ready tee us up man let's do this yes in the featherweight division very exciting time i would say uh you know this is uh obviously the last thing we talked about the featherweight division is when volkanovsky went up to the lightweight division to battle islam Makhachev. Uh, unfortunately, he did not win that one, even though some do believe that he did win. On my scorecard, I did feel that Islam had done just enough. I thought it was very, very close. Uh, what did you think of that fight overall? Did you did you see uh, Volkanovski taking it? Great, great way to set it up. I would say when I watched it back, no. But in the moment, and I'm sure everyone agrees, uh, you, you want to root for the underdog, right? So I, I think everyone collectively sort of got caught up in that. I think Islam did what he had to do to win 3-2. Um, but I think Volkanovsky won in everyone's hearts, right? And sometimes that matters more uh, than the actual results. Um, but in the moment, living through it, I thought that Volkanovsky won. But then afterwards, in retrospect, um, I thought Islam edged it, but super close fight, close enough to have the conversation, you know? Yeah, definitely. And that it leads to this conversation, which is coming up in July, uh, UFC 290, when you have Volkanovski defending his belt against Yair Rodriguez. What did you, uh, what do you think of that fight coming up? And uh, do you think Yair has enough to get it done? Whew. I'm not sure, man. I'm not sure. I'm really excited for this matchup. Um, been a big fan of Yari Rodriguez for years now. It's kind of crazy how long he's been around and sort of the the different times he's been sort of pushed in his career. It's kind of funny. You could see, especially early on, the UFC felt like they hit a gold mine, right, with him early on. And then later on, as things sort of develop, you see um, them sort of take a step back once they sort of saw him hit his ceiling in a couple different matchups against Frankie Edgar and people like that. Uh, but then again, another resurgence, right, uh, where you see that they're invested in him and what he brings to the table. I'm a big fan of his game. I actually, this is one of the more unpredictable fights for me. Um, and it's not because it's hard for me to imagine how the styles match up, but it's more so how uh, dangerous Yair Rodriguez is. Um, I think... Looking back, especially his more recent fights, I was there in Long Island, Strong Island, for his recent win against Brian Ortega. Obviously, that was a freak sort of accident, right? Um, but he was looking excellent up until that moment uh, where he ended up getting that dislocation uh, via an armbar. Um, I just think his game is so... Like, it's just balls to the wall. I know what I'm good at, and I'm not afraid of you... Um, 
working your wrestling game on me because <laughs> I'm going to hit you hard enough with my kicks that even if you get me down, uh, you're going to be still thinking of that moment, right? Like, I feel like he has such a dangerous offense first style um, that could really give anyone problems, right? Like you land just some of those kicks that he was landing against Josh Emmett to the body. Absolutely revolting. Like you, you hear those, those shots, man. Like I'm, I'm cringing and wincing for him. So I can only imagine what you're going through absorbing those shots, how fast they come and how fast it comes back down as someone who learned how to kick later on in life. Uh, that's the most, underappreciated aspect of kicking offense not just getting it off quick but getting it back quick and that man is a wizard like things he does um offensively and the way he chains his punches from his kicks uh it's usually backwards right usually you hear set up the kicks with the punches um he ends up sort of opening up his his different ranges after he establishes his kicking offense so Man, this is going to be a real tough one. I'm a big fan of Volkanovski's wrestling ability. I think that's going to get to shine in this matchup. Um, it's close, man. Like, this one, it just feels like you're kind of you're kind of betting on what you understand about their skills, right? And and that gets me to lean Volkanovski. But at the end of the day, anything can land, and especially when you have someone willing to throw in that way. And also, in my opinion, just on such an upwards trajectory and really feeling himself since becoming champ and even before then, um, this is a real tough matchup for Volk. And I think if he makes this one look easy, right? Like if he gets through this one um, in, in quick and easy fashion, uh, you almost you almost have to make that lightweight title fight again, right? Because he, he's taken apart this whole division and anyone else who hasn't made it can't seem to get, it, to get past uh, Max Holloway. So... I like this division and I think it's deeper than it gets credit for because of how dominant of a champion it is. Like everyone is always talking about, Hey, there's no fresh matchups. Well, at the end of the day, that's not really the champion's fault, right? He's, he's doing what he's asked and, and defending the belt and beat a lot of guys on the way up too. Um, so a really unique divisional situation. Uh, but in my opinion, one of the more healthy divisions, as far as young contenders, up and comers, and then a sort of, um, upper range where you have like title contenders. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of people that I see in this top 15 falling out um, as things continue to develop just because people are getting older and uh, there's always that natural sort of ebb and flow in these divisions. But I like 145. I'm a big fan of Volkanovsky and I, I favor him to get it done. Uh, but who knows, man? What about you? Sorry, I went on a, a whole diatribe there. Who do you got? No, that that's fine. That's fine. I, I, I love... Uh... I love what you bring to the table. I I'm very uh I'm very close on this one, but I just I feel depending on how Volkanovski does coming back down in weight, how he's handled that, you know, because it's not maybe it's easy for him, but it's not easy mm -hmm. for a lot of fighters to constantly, you know, move up and in, in weight and then come back down, especially if you're trying to get that double champ and unfortunately you couldn't. So I want to see how he looks back now at 145. It's been a little bit of time. And Yair's looked great. Ever since he lost to Max Holloway, it felt like Yair kind of uh, picked it up and saw a different level with him. And that, that fight against Josh Emmett, I, I expected that one to go right down to the wire, and it, I felt that Yair was just on a different level that night. He, he made Josh look like an amateur, and Josh is definitely not an amateur. So uh, that excites me. Uh, since I am Mexican, uh, Yair excites me even more because I want more Mexican champions, even though, yes, he is an interim champion. But, you know, I, I've talked about this on this uh, 
on this show enough how I feel about interim champs. I feel interim champs are just glorified number one contenders. And I get it for this sort of situation because Volkanovski goes up, so you know you have to get someone in there. But uh, until I see Yair without the interim title wrapped around him, then uh, I'll consider him a champ. But I do like Volkanovski in this one, and uh, but that's kind of leads me to my question with you: is that you know Yair, if Yair unfortunately cannot win this, right, then it leads to a lot of questions. For one, what happens with Yair, but also what happens with Max Holloway, right? Max Holloway, I don't think, is getting a title fight anytime soon. And he's kind of a gatekeeper right now. He's stuck. I know he wants to fight um, the Korean Zombie next because, you know, he's part of his time period and he's a legend, and I get that. You know, I, I would expect Holloway to do quick work with him. I, I don't see the Korean Zombie as what he once was. I think he's still a fantastic fighter. I just don't think he's what he used to be. I know he's ranked number six or seventh right now, but that's uh, I, I, another guy, like you mentioned before, I could see sliding out of the top 15 very, very soon within like two years' time, and I think that would be a massive step toward that. A guy I am looking at is Ilya Teporia. Obviously, he's, I think, on his way up. But before I, I, I go into that, what do you see with, Yair and Volkanovski, whatever happens there, what do you see happening with something with Max Holloway? Great question, man. I have no idea. Um, I think him and his team are dead set at staying at 145, which I don't mind. I thought, although he looked great against Poirier at 155 and, and arguably could have won that fight, um, I did think that he didn't take the power well at 55. So that's a storyline to sort of keep in mind if he does eventually move up. Um, I don't think he has to, though. I think I think he's such a historic fighter, right? Like, I, I think he deserves um, a fourth crack, whether or not people agree, just because of what he continues to do in the division. It's not like he is losing these fights to Volk and then just chilling until... <laughs> we find out that no contender is able to push through and then comes back and, and is like, give me another shot. Like he he's fighting his way back to the title in a big way. And you can't fault him for that. Right. Like at the end of the day, your obligation as a champ is to defend the belt and whoever that guy is, if it's going to be the fourth or fifth time, that's not, I mean, I guess you could call that like the promotion's fault, right? Because you got to try to find other people to fight. But at the end of the day, if you're doing what you have to do to get yourself in those matchups i can't hate on it so i think he deserves whatever the fuck he wants i think at the end of the day he's that kind of a a, a fighter for the ufc and has done so much for them in many different ways so at the end of the day whatever he wants he should get i think he stays at 45 and i i think we see him in a title fight eventually whether or not it's against volkanovsky again i don't know who knows maybe volkanovsky ends up seriously going up to 55 or something like that. Who knows? Um, but I think we will see Holloway in another featherweight title fight before he decides to move up if he does. So I think maybe especially later in his career uh, to expect to see that move. But I would say the next two, three years should be at featherweight for Max Holloway. And I think he's not going anywhere. I think he's going to stay. In my opinion, he should be in that number one contender slot, not um, Yair, but I get it. You gotta, you gotta make it look good for the rankings. You know what I mean? But remember, he just 
he just beat him a couple months prior to he to him winning the interim title. So um, I know all things aren't equal either, right? He's a, just watching the, the Josh Emmett fight. He's a different fighter, right, since that last time they fought. So who knows? Maybe they run that one back too. Um, but no matter who it is, right, it's not like he's out there having stinkers. So I think this is a good problem for the UFC to have. Yeah, it, it's someone that is a roadblock in the division, right? But at the end of the day, if that person, that roadblock is giving you fucking awesome fights, A-level excitement, as well as just generally the fans are behind him. Like, what is there not to like about that? So I think he stays at 45. See, that brings up a couple of points that I want to ask you about, Max. I feel like Max is kind of like, you know, when you're playing like that Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat video game and you're just trying to climb to the boss level, there's always that mini boss that comes in right before the head boss. And I feel like if you can get past Max Holloway, it's an automatic you're in for a title shot. And everyone that's faced Max Holloway has failed miserably, I would say, except for Volkanovski. And then Yair kind of found the loophole. He, he did a cheat code where he lost to him, but he found a way to sneak past him and, you know, get into the number one ranks in the interim fight, interim champion, I mean. And so I, it, it brings new blood for Volkanovski. And, it, you, you know, it's just like what Dana White used to say about the welterweight division with uh, Colby Covington, is that Colby would be champion if Kamaru Usman did not exist. And, you know, Max Holloway was already a champion, and he would be champion right now all these years later if Volkanovski did not exist. If Volkanovski did not settle for 145, you know, being a rugby player at, at 220 pounds back in the day and going to 145. But I want to ask you about two situa- uh, two things. One, the, the last fight Max Holloway was in, he fought Arnold Allen. I really like Arnold Allen. I did feel, and I, I've been feeling this way, I've mentioned this to you off air, I feel like UFC is pushing these younger fighters a little too quickly, uh, fighting these top-level guys. Um, you know, I know Arnold Allen had beaten Dan Hooker, I would say like a year back, and that kind of sparked this. Oh, uh, well, look, Arnold Allen is this top guy, and then I, I, I was excited for Arnold Allen. You know, he climbed the ranks really quickly. I felt like him facing Max Holloway on a fight night, which is all Max Holloway's doing. Max Holloway always wants five rounds. He always wants to headline a fight night. He's helping the UFC because fight nights aren't getting the attention like you know pay per view events and like fight nights used to. So I, I appreciate Max for that. But what did you think of Arnold Allen's performance? I thought it was I thought it was a great one. Uh, obviously, it came up short, but what do you see with Arnold Allen and, and his future? Great questions, man. I think Arnold Allen is he's a title contender, man. Like I, I think he's definitely gonna gonna find his way into a title shot at some point. I think he is a really good fighter coming forward, especially. Um, I think he really puts his offense together well. I think defensively is where things need to continue to improve in order for him to find himself in serious talks, right, to become a champion. Um, I really like what he brings to the table, though. He's uh, kind of a kind of a throwback, right? Like someone who on the feet is a little bo- a little methodical, but at the same time, when he gets you hurt, um, certainly is knows how to turn it on, but also not really like known as a finisher, right? Like someone who is process first, uh, which you love to see and can also get you out of there if things get there. So um, I agree with you, though, man. The UFC is in a shitty position where they've got um, a lot of good young guys, but not a lot of ways to get them experience, right? It's almost like a trial by fire in the worst ways, and then a lot of people end up just getting burnt for it. Um, 
many many careers I could think of of people that just fizzled out because they didn't they didn't really get their build right. You need to be able to build up to those title windows and not just uh, sort of live around them. So great. I don't know how how they manage his career on the long term. I think he's already so high up in the division that at this point, anybody he's going to fight is going to be in that top five territory. Um, I think those are all good developmental fights for him, but it's just such a, in my opinion, it's the worst place to be in as a contender because you aren't necessarily a media darling, right? There isn't anyone clamoring necessarily for you specifically um, for any reason other than market ties or things like that. Right. So um, when you're that good, and you don't really have that kind of following, um, they're going to just, you know what I like to call it, man? You get your your action figures together, which you give them to your young nephew, right? And you're excited for them to enjoy them the way you used to. And then you give it to them and you're like watching, like, this is great. You know, they get to finally play with the toys that I used to own. And then they're just smashing them together right in front of you. And and you you don't, all of a sudden you don't know how to feel about your, your toys being destroyed right in front of you. I think the UFC could benefit from um, changing around and understanding the two life cycles of a division, so to speak, where you, there's people at the top that are coming down and people at the bottom that are coming up and knowing how to sort of let those fighters that are have serious championship level aspiration, let them build in a way that isn't just trial by fire because at the end of the day, it's helpful, and and ultimately you're gonna get a winner, right? So you're you're gonna get the division sorted out. Um, but at the end of the day, is that the best way to get the best out of these contenders? Um, I don't think so, especially in a division like this, where you want the contenders to at least fight the champion, right? And uh, of course, Holloway's Holloway's got a lot to say about that, but um, I just think take it easy, no need to rush, right? But at the same time, understand that you want to create matchups that lead to more interest and not matchups that are way too much of a challenge for the reward that they offer. In my opinion, he shouldn't have tried to take a Holloway fight unless it was for an interim title or something like that. Like, there's no reason when you consider the other people in that division. For example, Brian Ortega has to come back at some point. Uh, you could wait for that. Um, there was a whole bunch of different options just to try to find your way to that same place, right? But it's not Max fucking Holloway, uh, historic Hall of Fame uh, caliber fighter, in my opinion. So tough position to be for any contender at 45, to be honest. But I like I like Arnold Allen. I like his team. He's at a really good camp. Um, I just, just hard to imagine anyone becoming champ besides Volkanovski and, and Holloway at the moment. Yeah, I feel like it's a little early for Carl Allen and even someone like Ilya Tapuria, which is bring me to my next point, which I, I'm actually kind of curious because all I do is when I'm, you know, listening to either you guys or Chael Sonnen or Ariel Hawani and their shows, I'm thinking of I'm matchmaking like I'm part of the UFC, right? Mm -hmm. So I sit there and I think to myself, like, all right, what could be next for them? And you tell me, like, before the end of the year, you think, because, you know, I feel like they rushed Arnold Allen a little bit. And I think, you know, what they should do now is that once you get Max Holloway, I, would, I wouldn't 
wait until Brian Ortega, so to speak. But I would do Arnold Allen versus someone like Josh Emmett. Josh Emmett and them kind of fought within a couple months of each other. You could wait on that one a little bit, or you could do something uh, where Arnold Allen fights his. Uh, I mean, Ilya Tapuria will face Calvin Cater. I mean, not Cal. Jesus, I'm messing up. Where Ilya will face Arnold, and you could do something like that. Two young vets, uh, two young guys going at it and see who is the next big thing. Because I feel like it's always going to be Volkanovski, Max, and then Yair, or Yair, Max, and whatever. Those three are always going to be at the top until someone can knock one of them off, and then, you know, it's kind of like a domino effect. But right now, I feel like it's those three are like the top, top tier. And then you have these guys who are great fighters, but none of these guys are ready yet to knock off these three. And, you know, like, I know the hype was there for someone like Bryce Mitchell, who fought Ilya, and that quickly faded when Ilya just absolutely manhandled Bryce and submitted Bryce, who was uh, a crazy submission artist and really, really talented. I, I never saw that coming. I, I had Ilya winning, but I never thought Ilya would submit Bryce. So that was telling. And I think Ilya is the next big contender, but I don't want them to rush him. I don't want Ilya's next fight to be Brian Ortega or Max Holloway or any of those top, you know, four or five guys. Two more fights and get him there. Mm -hmm. Because if you can develop him to beat out the rest of the division before he can fight someone like Volkanovski or Yair, who knows, then you have like a real serious powerhouse, uh, a, a a, um, a prospect that you could turn into a veteran that now takes over the division and then can wipe the slate clean. But it's definitely going to be interesting to see. I want to ask you too, though, it, it kind of leads us into uh, talking about some unranked fighters. But before we talk about the unranked fighters, we had a guy who just fought last Saturday in the Bantamweight division who has already had some conversation about maybe coming to featherweight his whole dream was to come to featherweight and fight Volkanovski after two or three fights. Obviously, I'm talking about Henry Cejudo. And then that plan has quickly washed away after losing to Aljamain, where he thought it was going to be quick work. It didn't work out that way. But now he's ranked number three in the bantamweight. I think his main goal is to be a three-division champion. I don't think that's going to change with him. I think he's going to do everything he can to win one or two more times in the bantamweight before he gets a title shot with Volkanovski. If, you know, the featherweight is a little slow on developing a contender. And I, I want to ask you, because I feel like this is probably the best time Henry may have at fighting someone at 145. I never thought I would say that. I never thought Henry would be a 145er, but I think this is probably the best time. The hype is there for him at Volkanovski if times, you know, laps out that way. But if Henry Cejudo makes his way, to 145, I would imagine they wouldn't give him a title shot first. I'd imagine they give him Max Holloway. So before I go any further into the Volkanovski storylines and all that, do you see a situation where Henry could possibly fight Max Holloway and even succeed? Whew. I'm loving it. I'm loving this scenario. Uh, just because it also kind of gives the division a break around Max Holloway, right? Like uh, that. That's, that's exactly a really good slot. Um, yeah. I don't, man, I don't think I will pick Henry Cejudo to beat Max Holloway. I think Holloway is 
way too big, way too good, especially on the defensive wrestling side of things. I think that's where people don't give him his flowers. I think Henry Cejudo isn't that kind of an offensive wrestler either, even though obviously he has those accolades. So it's kind of like crazy to even hear me say that. But um, just considering his fights and how he fights, he does get takedowns. Don't get me wrong, uh, but he's not the take you down, wash, rinse, and repeat kind of guy. I mean, the only time I could really think of him following a game plan like that was against Sergio Pettis, uh, who's a champ now in Bellator. Shout out to shout out to young Serge. Um, but I like that fight. I think I don't think it's what they end up doing. I think he's been talking now about fighting Marab or potentially staying at 35. Who knows how that plays out? Um, but I agree. I think if any time this was to happen, now's a perfect time just because the, the division lined up that way uh, to set it up in a great way. So I hope they entertain it. Like, I think that that's a good move for both of those guys, because I think Henry Cejudo's kind of positioned himself as a fan darling, which I don't know how the fuck that happened. Um, but Max Holloway is that guy times 10. So I think Cejudo will kind of lean more towards the heel role right shout out to the wwe <laughs> we have been acquired it is real it exists it is a thing um but yeah i think that they're natural foils for each other for all those reasons and just the greatness in that matchup like that'll be i think that'll be a fight that'll be more exciting to think about than to actually watch like i think i think it'll be a pretty clear decision win for holloway but man who knows at the end of the day i respect Cejudo's greatness and definitely have made many errors in, in picking his fights before. So I, I won't be surprised if he able to pull out a crazy upset or something. Um, but there was something that you mentioned earlier that I also wanted to mention. Um, Ilya Tapori obviously in a real good spot in this division right now, but um, he is signed to fight Josh Emmett and that is next month. So that's a big fight. Um, and also kind of that veteran guy that you were mentioning, like to, to, to find a step up, but also, ideally not a matchup where you could have too many problems i'm not gonna lie man josh emmett no matter who he fights win lose a draw you're in for some shit so i think i think we're gonna get to see a different side of Ilya as far as being a little bit more of the hammer in this one we saw some of that in the jai herbert fight and obviously herbert much bigger than him at lightweight um was able to hurt him multiple times and, and almost finished him so I think it's a really good matchup and good to tell us really where he's at. I won't be surprised if he's not able to win that, to be honest, just because of the kind of ceiling it is in the division. Um, but I hope so, man. I, ho I hope he's able to, to break through and make his way into the division. And then lastly, when you mentioned this, I thought this was who you were talking about, not Cejudo. Uh, but Mosar Ivlovev is the dark horse in this division. I know he is top 15. I think he's top 10 right now. Um, he is the guy to look at when it comes to actual serious title contenders. I hope that they don't make him fight Max. Like, I hope they make him do something like either Calvin Cater or, or Dan, Dan Ige, something, something like that next um, to set you up for a fight where either your number one contender for sure, um, if Volkanovski is going to 155 again or something, or um, any way you could do it so that you're not fighting two champions back to back because that, that's what Holloway is in that division even though he doesn't have a belt anymore the dude's a champion so um yeah lots of lots of fun contenders coming up in this division may I ask you who out of this top 15 if there's anyone that you got a all in 
I'm putting all my chips into this basket. This is going to be the guy to to break through in this division. Does that guy exist? Ranked right now? Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's tough. Uh, this is tough. I, I, I would honestly, if I had to put my chips down, it's going to be either Ilya or Mozart. And if I had to choose between the one of them, I'm going to go with We'll go with Elia, but that's if if they play the cards right with Elia, mm-hmm. and I really hope that this Josh Emmett fight doesn't squander that. Like that's I know it's nine to five, uh, in, in the rankings, so it's it's a pretty good matchmaking. That's tough though because mm-hmm. you know Elia has has had some good fights. I'm not taking that away from him, but you know. He, Fighting Bryce Mitchell not too long ago, and then you you have Josh Emmett who may have just faced the champ if Yair can pull it off against Volkanovski. It's a big difference between you know the last couple fights between those two. So if Ilya can pull that off, which he most certainly can, then I would absolutely say him. But you know, in a heartbeat, he loses that by decision, then it's like a whole different conversation of what happens next with him. You know, is the hype real? Is it? You know, is he really going to be the next guy? Because right now he's built to be the next hype guy out of featherweight division. He can be that guy. He is super, super dangerous. And I don't know. I thought, you know, I know he was going to face Josh Emmett. I thought maybe toward the end of the year they would kind of swing it towards something different. But if, you know, you Elia somehow were to beat Josh Emmett, right? Like, what's next for him after that? Would you give him Brian Ortega coming back from injury? Would you give him Max? Would you give him Arnold? Like, there's, that's, you know, you're playing in very dangerous waters for a guy you want to develop. You know, he's he's very young. He's got time. Mm-hmm. And if you squander that, you know, you're going to be kicking yourself for a man. If we had just given him, you know, Chikatse or even, you know, Korean Zombie on his way out instead, you know, we could have done that. You don't want to have that conversation with yourself. You want to develop these guys who you think can be the next big thing develop him slowly and when you do that then you can have yourself a superstar you can build your brand after him so it's gonna be really close but if i had to choose someone i would choose him i like that i i I tend to agree i think the two names you said you can't go wrong either way with both of those guys i agree Ilya got the look too right like i'm surprised he hasn't really been propped as that next guy yet in this division um it's really on the ufc to do it right like get the machine behind this guy uh because especially after the bryce mitchell fight that's that's such a weird one though like i have no idea where bryce mitchell's gonna go i think if you put the same bryce mitchell that fought barboza in the cage with Ilya that night i think that's a different fight i don't think that was the same guy um so i don't know what it is he mentioned he was sick and then obviously wasn't able to make his last fight either. So there's a lot going on in his life and hope that he is able to return to form because he was another one of those guys that I was looking at as potentially a different stylistic matchup in this division that could really give guys issues. But I don't know, man. I don't know where you go. I feel like you can't go wrong with a lot of those names for Ilya. I just think you try to find a way to get him in there. Like no matter no matter what it is, I know that we're thinking like slower build here. This is someone, in my opinion, that's gotten more fights than most people because he's also fought at 55 and things like that. He's gotten more fights than most in this division. So I would say if you could prop him to try to be in a title fight and not fight Max, I think that'll be the best route 
through the division to try to get that next contender. Because if you look at the division right now, after this, if he does beat Yair Volkanovsky, then it's kind of wide open, right? Like you kind of have to create that next contender. And I honestly wouldn't mind at this stage of Volkanovsky's reign to just start throwing guys that are a little greener at him and just see, like, based on potential, right? Like, ideally, right, if it, if it was up to the manager of these guys, I'm sure they would want a, a fight or two before they get there. But who else is there? Like, at this point, you kind of have to you kind of have to um, be responsive to the division and the way things are playing out and sort of make your decisions based on that. So if you're asking me, I would say if he beats Eb- Emmett, if you could get him in there with Brian Ortega, that's that's a great matchup. Giga Chikadze as well is another good striker's delight, right? So something exciting, but also a step up that should be the next um the next sort of natural progression to a title shot. All right, now I have two questions for you. One, before we get into the rank fighters, this is my one and only question before we get into that. I want to ask you, Volkanovsky BTI year at UFC 290, right? Is he considered the greatest featherweight of all time. I'm sorry. Can you can you run that back one more time? Sure, sure, sure. If Volkanovski were to be Yair Rodriguez at UFC 290, right? Mm-hmm. Will you consider him the greatest UFC featherweight of all time? I consider him that now. And before, I considered Max Holloway to be that guy. So... Whew, yeah, uh, lofty, lofty place to be. Um, but I, I think he is that guy right now. All right, and now I go to you first. You're going to do it to me in the next weight class. So give us either one through three kids coming up outside the top 15 that you are absolutely looking at. Like, these are the guys two years from now. We're going to be talking about his name in a main event. What do you got? Ooh. There's a, there's a couple names in here that I really like, man. A couple names that I really, really do like. Um, so I'm going to go deeper on this, and then I'll, I'll start making my way up to names that you definitely know. Um, but whew, um, one guy that I got my eye on that I'm really interested to see how he looks in his next fight, it's going to be in June, uh, David Onama. Uh, this is someone who... Fought out of that Glory MMA team, obviously, with James Krause. Not sure how that situation is going to play itself out. But just an athletic freak at this division. Absolutely huge for featherweight. And someone that gassed against Nate Landwehr, but also showed a level of cardio that, like, you could say someone gassed, right? Like, there's levels to gassing, right? You could say someone looked tired, and that's them gassing. But if someone looks exhausted, but they're still out there doing the damn thing. They're still out there throwing and maybe labored or whatever. They're still performing, right? They're not out there getting cooked. Drickus uh, Duplessis is one of those guys, right, that gets overly tired. Um, I think that's the story for David Onama. I'm interested to see how he looks bouncing back off of that performance. I think he's going to look great and sort of spark his, uh, his way back into this division. Now, these next couple names are interesting right to say the least i think these guys definitely have really good upside but also need things to shake out a certain way to make their way through but bill algio man bill algio has been someone that i've been watching since his contender series fight against brendan lochnane 
Um, obviously, that was a controversial fight. Uh, but he's been working his way, right? I think he's really looking looked much better and much improved. Um, and is someone in this division that I think no matter what, by the end of this year, he's going to be top 15. Like, he's not there yet, uh, but they're definitely going to be pushing him. He recently went full heel um, in Kansas City and was talking his shit on the mic. Um, years ago, that would do nothing for me. <laughs> now it does, because I see, although it's not my thing, right? I'm not a WWE guy. It isn't, it isn't my, it, it doesn't float my boat. Um, but the UFC cares that people do things like that and they push those guys when they do. Right. So uh, what's the old adage, right? The squeaky wheel gets the grease. It's the same thing. Like, I feel like they, they're not as interested in making stars as they were before. And that's a conversation for another day. Uh, but if you're trying to meet them halfway, they'll prop you up, right. They'll, 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 they'll run with whatever you put out there. So um, I think the UFC is going to get behind this guy. Keep your eye out for Bill Aljo. And then there's two more names in this one. I'm just going to go with the order that I think they fall in as far as how excited I am for them. Uh, Charles Jordan also recently just fought this last weekend. Um, looked really great in a very put together, straightforward performance against Cron Gracie, a fight where I don't know what the fuck Cron was, was doing or what he was expecting or wanting out of that fight. Uh, very weird performance uh, up there, honestly, with one of the more bizarre like UFC fights. Back in the 90s. Yeah, like, literally. That was a totally different type of fighting. I yeah, haven't seen I thought, that in 20 years. I thought I was watching the MMA Archive, man. I thought, <laughs> I thought we was on another episode of the MMA Archive. It was weird. Um, and, and you want to give him praise, right? Because I actually didn't pick him going into that one. I thought he wasn't going to be able to, to make that work because of some of the deficiencies I've seen in his game as far as not being able to stay within himself. So I think great step in the right direction but also not really his fighting style right so good to see that he's able to do that and i think he's taking his career path much more seriously than earlier on so i could see him also cracking that top 15 and making a run um but the number one guy this this one is going to probably catch you by surprise um this is someone that i really am excited about the direction he's headed in and it's not just because um he's new to this weight class but also because he's he's part english like i am you know you gotta you gotta love the love the guys coming out of out of england so shout out to nathaniel wood this is someone that i didn't expect to move up to 45 that during his career at 35 i'm like man this guy's good he could see himself you know becoming a champion here he doesn't necessarily have to go um to to another weight class to make that happen i never imagined him going to 45 uh, but once he made the shift, man, he looked amazing. He looked amazing against Jordan. And obviously, you 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 want to pick the guy that wins that fight, right, at the end of the day, when you're just talking about the kind of prospect that he is. Um, I'm just a big fan of what he's able to do and his build for the division, even though he's a little shorter. Um, dude is bricked up, man. Like, he, he filled out in that division big time. Um, so I'm a big fan of his well-roundedness. I'm looking forward to seeing how that shakes out. All right, so now I'm going to give you three, and I have one guy who I want to ask you about. Okay. So in my three that I think has potential, you took one for me, and that was Jordan. I had him in there, but because of the the fight with, with Kron Gracie, because I, I don't know what to think of Kron. I, I, had, I never thought Kron was going to win, because as soon as that fight started, 
And it's just the way the whole press conference looked. I just felt like coming back from injury, I, I, I don't know. He just looked off. But just watching after like two minutes of that first round, I was like, yeah, it's no shot. But I'm going to mention to you, and because I'm Mexican, so I'm really looking at Fernando Padilla. And I know he's, I think he's only fought once in UFC so far. But I'm, if the if the UFC could just slowly like this is how I am I <laughs> I I want them to be developed as slowly as possible, mm-hmm. you know I I want them to have three or four fights before they even go ranked like that's how slow I want it to go, because if they could just dominate slowly and climb the ranks that way, then it's golden. It you know you just have to be patient, but mm-hmm. he's one. Obviously, you took another one for me with Nathaniel Wood, but. I also want to look at another Englishman in Leroy Murphy. If that's it. see, I'm gonna I'm gonna mispronounce names all the time. So you can anytime correct me if I if I even mess that up. But he's definitely someone I'm looking at too. I think he's on his way as long as the UFC takes their time with him as well. I know I think he's just outside the top fifteen. So he's gonna be there probably by the end of the year, maybe even start of next year. Mm-hmm. And a guy I wanna ask you about is we've seen him before and he had that loss against Ricky Simon so I'm kind of unsure how I feel about him. I don't know if he can make another quick run, but he did have that uh I think a submission win in his last fight, but mm-hmm. I want to ask you what do you think of Jack Shore? Do you think he is a guy who we should be looking at as someone who can come climb back or is he going to be what he is now and an unranked fighter for the remainder of time? It's a rough one, man. It's a rough one. I I like Jack Shore, man. I'm a big fan of the Welsh. I'm uh, my family is from from Wales, so shout shout out to the Welsh. Shout out to the Welsh flag. That shit looks awesome. Uh, but I'm a fan of his game. At the end of the day, do I see championship level upside? I'm not sure. I think he's someone that looks a little slow, and that was at 135. So. I think at 145, obviously, you're moving up. Shouldn't be that big of an issue if you look slow at 35. But at the end of the day, um, I don't think Makwan Amir Khani is a true litmus test of where you are in the division. Obviously, he did very well in that fight. But even early on, there were some issues, right? It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a dominant performance in that way where he was winning pillar to post. Uh, he had some issues, came through on the other side of it. I think he's someone that needs a more of a developmental track. I'm a fan of his game. Um, but I'm not sure it's top 15 ready just yet. Um, I do think that he will make his way into the top five eventually. Like, I think he's that kind of a, a fighter. Um, I just think a lot needs to go in the right way right now. Like, personally, he's going through a lot, right? His father's battling cancer and all that. That that plays a factor, man. Whether or not people like to admit it or not, that is huge. Um, so I think a lot needs to go right in order for him to make that kind of run. Um, so that's why I didn't put him in my list, uh, but I could definitely see him cracking top five very soon. He's he's really good, and I think his upside, no matter what division, but especially at featherweight, is a little higher uh, because, A, you're afforded the time, right? You, you don't have to be a contender right now. Like in bantamweight, if you're top 35, you're a contender, which is insane to think about. Um, so he has a little bit more time to find his way through the division. Um, but yeah, I, I think there's some spots where he's going to have some trouble, especially on the feet that need to develop. Um, but I think he's up there. Another random shout. Sorry to cut, cut you off. Cause I know we're, we're going a little late on featherweight, but Josh cool man, 
a guy that every time I see him matched up, I pick against them. I'm like, yeah, athletically, this should be the one where he has issues. And somehow he just finds a way, man. Melsic Bogdasarian. That was someone that I thought very highly of and was looking forward to see what he was able to do in that division and turned back that gatekeeper like, a, like I mean, turn him back like any gatekeeper would, right? So let me say that correctly. Um, but I'm a fan of his game. Shout out to the Hawaiians in the UFC. Uh, so he's another guy at featherweight that I think can make some noise. I like I like the way you're thinking. But yes, I think, you know, as we go to 135, we could talk about the top 35, like you just mentioned, because <laughs> Bantamweight, there's so many. There's so many guys we could talk about here. And I obviously don't want to take up, you know, two hours talking about this one division alone. So I'm going to kind of go a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like we should get started, obviously, with what just happened last Saturday at UFC 288. Al Sterling defeated Henry Cejudo and has defended the belt once again. Sean O'Malley makes his WWE type performance, <laughs> runs into the octagon that Dana White obviously has nothing to do with. Marab wears the jacket, sets up this whole thing between these four fighters, with Henry and Marab, Aljamain and Sean are next. Uh, it's going to be very, very interesting there. Let's start with those four guys first. Uh, what at first, you know, I think we talked about this already, but Aljamain and Henry Cejudo, that was a great fight. I had Aljamain winning 3-2. How did you see that fight going? Man, I'm gonna get crucified for this, but I had Aljo up 4-1, and I had Aljo winning the fifth round, and everyone's like, that was the easiest round, and we could argue about this because I know you probably disagree with me. Everyone disagrees I with disagree me on this. I disagree with you. Everyone <laughs> disagrees with me on this, uh, but at the end of the day, I I think, a if it was if it was one championship rules, Aljamain lost that fight, right? But you got to know what rule set you're under and how you're scoring these fights. And and I think there's a case there that if he didn't win 3-2, he won 4-1. So I think Al Jermaine won that fight. I think it was a close fight. So no matter how you score it, it's always going to be, eh, it could have went either way. And I agree. Um, but I had it 4-1 once, once the fifth round was over. See, thing is, is definitely I thought it was fifth round Henry. I think that was the most dominant one of his. But... I feel like the only reason this is up for debate and conversation was because of how awful the judges' scorecards were that night. And it was just another example. How many times have we said this where the judging has just been so questionable to keep it keep it PG that uh, you know, you really start to scratch your head. There were a lot of a lot of this even the fight before that where you had Gilbert Burns versus Bilal Muhammad, I, I just didn't see a way where Gilbert won the fifth round. Like, I just didn't understand that. But then that's why I went into, at the end of it, you know, I was telling you off air that my friends were like, oh, you know, uh, Aljamain clearly won. It's not even going to be close. 4-1, 5-0, 3-3-2. I'm like, guarantee this shit goes to split. Guarantee this is going to be a split because it's always like that. And you know what? That one judge thought just like you did, thought Aljamain won that fifth round. And because he thought that way, Henry Cejudo lost because if he thought like the majority of us did that Henry won that fifth round, Henry would have won the fight. That's how much the judging was so off that it was off enough that it corrected itself, if that makes any sense. And I obviously the 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 right man won this fight, but man, the judges' scorecards are, are as scary as it ever comes. You know, if you, regardless of what you think, who wins and who loses. 
you really never know anymore. So mm-hmm. I thought it was a great fight. Aljamain came with a better game plan, and he's just a bigger guy. You know, you really mm-hmm. saw the difference. You saw the the length. You saw the 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 reach difference. And I got to give it to Henry though. Henry had incredible takedown defense that entire night. It, that was the best I've seen Henry in takedown defense. And I, in the three year layoff, you definitely saw the ring rust, but. He looked great, and uh, that leads up to now this fight with Aljamain versus Sean O'Malley. I love Sean O'Malley, and I'm going to let you get into this in a second, but I have to be honest here. I think Sean O'Malley is pushed up way, 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 way too soon. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I really do honestly believe Peter Yan had beaten Sean O'Malley that night. I think the Me majority too. of us did, and I felt that that has messed up the Bantamweight division in this situation because that messed up Peter Yan. Uh, it leads to a lot of questions there. And, you know, now Sean O'Malley's the number two contender, was the number one, and you got to have those two fight. You have Henry Cejudo talking to Marab about them fighting, which would be a fantastic fight. That makes a lot of sense because Marab has been getting the leftovers of Aljamain Sterling's fights over and over and over again. So that only makes sense to just have the same camp run it again against Henry. But before I get into that, what do you think of uh, what's coming next? Like it's targeted for UFC in Boston. I think that's UFC 292. Uh, what do you think of the situation where Aljamain Sterling will fight Sean O'Malley for the belt? Whew, all great questions. Before we get there, though, you know I have to do it. I have to defend myself, right? I know I'm looking crazy, right? No, nobody agrees with me, so I just have to. I have to make my case. So I think ultimately, why I had Aljamain winning that round, um, where most people didn't, is a defense does is its own reward. Defense does not get scored, um, and unfortunately for Henry, a lot of the times, him defending takedowns ended up in positions where. He was stuck, right? He had to make the decision to fully defend the takedown and couldn't really enact his own offense from there. I think if even if he was throwing small chopping hammer fists that were barely even touching Aljamain Sterling, I think that's a decisive round for him. Now, you're probably hearing me say this. I'm like, well, then how can you make the case for Aljamain to win the round? I think ultimately it comes down to the actual control time now that sounds crazy right because a lot of it was spent in positions where he didn't have exact control um but there was a stretch for about two minutes there where he did have that control and then eventually this leads to this sort of moments of parody here back and forth um i think ultimately it was a it was definitely the closest the closest round in my opinion of the entire fight as far as a round that could go either way um i thought round two was clearly sehudo's round that was the the round where he came out big after the first um i just felt like ultimately what would really swing me to to picking sterling was he controlled in my opinion the first three minutes of that round and then eventually ended up on bottom getting his takedown stuff for the last two minutes and obviously, I get the optics of that aren't good, but ultimately, I think something that gets lost a lot in judging is the role of the final two minutes versus the final three minutes. And at the end of the day, you're supposed to score them the same, right? You're not supposed to weigh heavier on the end, even though that's the more natural inclination, right? So 
I'm not mad with anyone scoring that round for Cejudo. It was that close. Uh, but I, I'll give it to Aljamain, and I'm standing on that hill. Hey, I, I like that. I appreciate that you are not bowing down or yes. backing down from it. So that I disagree with you, but I do agree with that, what you just said there, right? That is true. I just felt that, thank God that it worked out that way because you definitely, especially in the same division, if you had another Peter Yan, Sean O'Malley situation where Cejudo would have beaten Aljamain, and like where it was, it was pretty clear that Aljamain had done enough. I, I even at the worst situation, you really saw it as Aljamain had it three rounds. Like that—that's what I had, mm-hmm. and I was going worst case scenario. And I'm Aljamain's from you know from New York. He's you know probably in between where we live, so mm-hmm. you know I I was more focused on Aljamain. I kind of was hoping he would win. Never been a fan of Prince Cejudo. That that dude. Uh, both of them are cringe, but still. So, like, I was thinking worst case scenario. The less of I, two evils, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. So, it was just, I did have Aljamain winning. So, I'm glad that that worked out. If you had two mess-ups like that in the same division, you're talking about craziness within the top five. So, I'm glad that that didn't happen. But, like, I, I wanted to go back to what I was asking mm-hmm. you. And Sorry. now to Aljamain. No, it's fine. Totally fine. Um, Aljamain, Sean O'Malley now. Probably slated for either 292 in Boston or they might move it to 293, wherever that's going to be. What do you have? Do you you see a situation where O'Malley really is number one contender and could take down someone like Aljamain Sterling and get the belt? Man, I don't count anybody out, right? I've watched this sport long enough to know that anything could happen on any given night. I think ultimately I agree with you. I think he didn't deserve to win that fight. But when you win the fight, you move on, right? That's how these things go. So I'm not mad at it, but it also shows you the different, what it means to be favored by the UFC. Look at his record and then look at Bilal Muhammad's record and tell me why no one's clamoring for one to get the title shot while the other one, everyone's pipe, hump, pumping him up saying, oh man, I, it, the time is now for us to find out how good he is. Um, really just shows you when the UFC machine is behind you, uh, you will find a way. So that's how I feel about that situation. The fact that he's sat on this number one ranking for eight months now. Peter Yan has fought twice since then, right? Lost twice since then. Those guys aren't getting title shots off of beating him. So, like, ridiculous. If you ask me, this is what I hate about the UFC, personally. Because you prop yourself up with the market share of the athletes as this is where the best fight the best. It is true. Don't get me wrong. It's not like he's fighting top 15 guys when he's not of the top 15. But at the end of the day... There's two different divisions, right? There's the actual, these guys can fight, and there's the, these guys can entertain. So let's be strategic about this. I hate that part about it. I wish that he would have had to climb through the division like everyone else has to. Uh, But he's held this ranking, so I can't hate on him for it. I think he can win this fight. I think he's very dangerous, especially, I would say... It isn't even the way people think. Like, I think people are all saying, like, man, Aljamain got to be careful in round one. I disagree. I think Aljamain needs to be needs to be careful throughout because, obviously, round one is going to be where, obviously, they're both freshest to do their thing. 
Um, but I think Aljamain is going to be looking for control time early versus trying to play that game and let him find himself in this fight. I think later on when maybe he overestimated his ability to pass guard and to, and to deal with O'Malley's defenses um, and, and things are getting a little bit more drawn out. I think that's where the threat of the knockout really exists. If we get out of round two, right. And it's been 10 minutes of top control or eight minutes of top control. And you see, man, I'll just right as soon as they get up, I think that's dangerous. I think he's the kind of guy that can find momentum late in a fight and continue to exploit it. We saw that in round three against Jan, right? That's what won him the fight. And literally an exchange that led to a cut won him that fight. And you got to respect him for finding his opportunity in that. Because I don't know if you remember, but there were moments even before that flurry and that cut where in round three, Sean O'Malley looked dejected. Like, he looked like he knew he lost already. Um, so, once again, all very surprising stuff. I'm not a Sean O'Malley hater, despite all the things I've said. I enjoy his game. I enjoy watching him fight. Um, I think he can be Al Jermaine. I just don't think it's the way that people are imagining it to be. Um, if he knocks out Al Jermaine Sterling in the first round, I think I would genuinely be shocked and like, holy shit, this guy's not what I expected him to be. Um, I just don't think he's that he's that guy. I really don't. I think he has power, um, but I think he, where he's really special is putting combinations together and forcing people to fight his game. And I think that's where he could really give Aljamain some trouble. Ooh, see, this is tough for me because I love Sean O'Malley. I do. I think he brings some excitement to a main card. You know, he is he'll stand and bang with anyone. And uh, I, I absolutely love what Sean O'Malley has brought to the UFC. You know, uh, people like to say he's just the Walmart version of Connor and all that excitement, whatever. There's a bunch of them out there. But honestly, honestly, I just don't see it. Sean O'Malley has never been in, in a five-round fight. And I think Aljamain, if Aljamain's smart about this, obviously you just have to avoid getting punched, right? That's the stupidest thing I could say. But I think O'Malley's going to try to go all in for those first two rounds, if he can even get there, and try to take this dude's head off. I think he, he's been training for all this time since the young fight for Aljamain, and I think it was pretty set stone that he was going to get Aljamain. I don't think there was a time where we really thought he wasn't. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I you have to be sitting there in camp, in the gym all the time, preparing to stop the takedowns, right? And Aljamain doesn't really have the greatest of uh, strength from his punches. But I, I just feel that Aljamain will do the same thing he did to Peter Jan and kind of just go for the wrestling, take him down, and kind of just hold him there. And not like just win the round of points and stuff, but just drain Sean completely. And mm -hmm. I think Sean will really face the toughest waters and be in real deep water once he hits like the middle of the second round where he's huffing and puffing because of all the weight, you know, of Aljamain on him and constantly wrestling on the ground. Because I don't think we've ever really seen Sean O'Malley's wrestling. And, you know, the thing was, no one thought that O'Malley was going to be Peter Yard before the fight, right? And the thing was, though, was like, well, you never know, O'Malley could clip him. And he did. And he did win on the scorecard. I still think Yard won that fight, but still, regardless. You know, I think Aljamain, 
Aljamain's going to know that if he just has to get his back, he's literally the human backpack for a reason, that if he could just get O'Malley's back, or if he could just take him down, I think he could just control O'Malley the entire rest of the round and not let O'Malley back up. Because I don't know a situation where O'Malley can find a way back up to his feet if Aljamain takes him down. And Aljamain doesn't have to knock him out. He doesn't have to submit him. He could take him down and then just drain him for the rest of the round. And then the second round, do it all again until O'Malley's just so gassed that he can't keep it up anymore. And I think that's the way it's going to go. I think I have this, honestly. If I had to, if the fight was happening tomorrow, I would say Aljamain Sterling, second round submission. That's what That's I'm fair. Saying. That is fair. I'm gonna I'm gonna go I was gonna do it. I'm not gonna do it. I'll go I'll go Al Jermaine by decision. I think it's gonna be a harder fight than people think. Okay. Hey, I like it. I, I like it. Cause I that's what you wanna see. You wanna mm-hmm. see competitive fights, especially in a title fight, because Really, you get situations like these where you're seeing these title fights and you're like, oh, it's, it's going to be a wash. It's, there's no shot. You want to build up those fights where you're really saying to yourself, hey, I don't know. I don't know. Like, it, it could be this. Like, we just have with Cejudo. You know, mm-hmm. who knows if Cejudo's the, the guy we know. Like, because I would say 65% of the people thought Cejudo was going to go in there and be his old self and just absolutely wash Aljamain. And then you got to like the middle of round two and you're like, hey, Aljamain might be better than we thought. You know, we've mm-hmm. been doubting him for so long that. He might actually be that good. And so that's something to see. The other thing I want to ask you is uh, before we get into Marama, I kind of want to finish the conversation with Aljamain. And that Aljamain said if he wins this one, he wants to let Marab have a shot. He's going to go up to 145 and he's going to fight Volkanovsky and whatever, right? If that fight were to happen, right? Let's just say early 2024. Aljamain beat Sean O'Malley early 2024. Here we are. Uh, Volkanovski will probably, if he wins against the year, he'll probably ask to fight um, Islam Makachev again. And if whatever happens there, who knows? But Aljamain's going to want the double champ himself, which is a huge situation there. You have one champ fighting for a double champ. You have another one wanting a double champ. It, I guess that's fun for the UFC. I don't know what they want to do there and promoting it, but Aljamain does make it to 145, which is something he wants to do for a couple more fights before he eventually retires. Aljamain versus Volkanovski, let's just say, happens in six months, right? Probably not, not going to happen, but if it does happen, you see a situation where Aljamain can beat someone like Volkanovski. Even though Aljamain is built to be like a 145 and cuts a lot of weight, can you see a situation where Aljamain can beat Volkanovski? Hell no. Hell no. I think if he's in those spots where he found himself against Henry Cejudo, I think he gets finished. I think that's the difference between I like that. Volk and Cejudo. I, I think I think Volk is just a different beast, man. I, I think he'll give him problems, but not in the way that people would expect. Like I, I feel like he'll actually give him more problems fighting on the outside than he would trying to enact his own grappling game, in my opinion. Um I just always go back to that um Chad Mendes fight, man. The way he stuffed the takedowns in that fight, uh, it just has me convinced, man, that there's just layers to his takedown defense. It's not like he's just selling out on a sprawl. Like the man, the man is next level, and we saw that in the Makachev fight too, right? So, yeah, I don't, I don't like his his 
I don't like that's the problem though. I don't like the way he looks in that matchup, but I don't like anyone against Volkanovski. Like I, I don't I don't see like genuinely I could say, hey, this guy could crack the, the title picture or this guy could whatever. I genuinely do not when I think of who can beat Volkanovski, I do not know. Because I did not know that Volkanovski was this great. Uh what one of the best parts of being an MMA fan, in my opinion, is to witness runs like his. The man is his historically great, man. So um, I will not pick him there, but I think he fit he fits in right with the 45ers. Like I think that's the toughest fight for Max Holloway at 45 or 35, in my opinion. I think the back exposure and being able to find it, um, I think he could really give him some problems there. So I don't like it on that end, but um I, I, I think he does belong at 45 for sure. I like it. I like it. Now I kind of want to get into the obviously the contenders coming, and uh, you know we everyone can talk about Marab. Marab should have been getting a title fight probably since the Peter Yan fight. I honestly, uh, ever since he beat Peter Yan so easily, better than Aljamain did both times. I think that you could you obviously could have said Marab is the next one to fight, but they're best friends and never going to fight. They're at the same gym. How could they possibly fight? Dana has said openly a zillion times how he has offered Marab the fight, and Marab will never do it. Marab is controversial, to say the least. You know, we, like I said before, he did steal out Sean O'Malley's jacket. He made it. He, he was basically the talk of the night off that one incident. You know, he's part of the reason why fighters don't bring out their flags anymore and UFC banned that. He's a very questionable guy, to say the least, but I love him. I think he's a great, great fighter. I, I, Inside and outside the octagon, I think he's a, a good person. And I think, you know, the, the fact that you could have been offered the title fight and then you stick loyal to your camp, to your teammate, to your best friend, and all that, that speaks volumes. And, you know, you're going to get pressured. You're going to get, you know, hit with the noise. But I do respect it. I, You know, people can have the, their, their way about it. You know, like, oh, well, then if he's not going to fight for the title, then F him. Just, you know, put him down in top 10. Who cares? But... What do you see a situation with Marab and either with Henry Cejudo? Do you see that actually happening? Do you not see it happening? And uh, to just round out these the top four fighters so far, what do you see with either Marab or Henry? I think Marab's a champion. I think if him and Aljamain were to fight, I think he'll win. Like genuinely, I think he'll win. I think I think he's that kind of a fighter. So I think it's only a matter of time for him. Unfortunately. There is no path to the title with his teammates still there. So it seems like Sean O'Malley is going to be his last fight. Honestly, that is pure altruism. Like, that is pure, I am doing this for you. Because I, 145 is not this open uh, wasteland for him to find a belt. Like, 145 is much harder for him to find his way to the top of. And 135 is already an insurmountable challenge, if you ask me. So... Marab is that dude. Don't get me wrong. Marab is that dude. Um, but unfortunately, I think his personality may prevent him from getting there faster than we think he should. I think if there's a title fight in this division that doesn't involve Aljamain, Marab is going to be in it. I just hope that he doesn't slip up on any of these fights that they're going to try to keep throwing him. Like, we've seen it already. They tried to offer him Umar Namagomedov. Um, just trying to get him to fight all the up-and-comers, which there's a good, 
there's goods and uh, sort of positives and negatives to being the Max Holloway of the bantamweight division, right? Being that guy that is right steps below the champ, but you need to test yourself against him in order to, to get over that hump. Um, I just think there's only so many years that you can be productive with the style that he has. And I think he, he needs to capitalize on that while it can make him some money. Um, I think long-term, do I think he's going to stay the champion for a long time and defend? Probably not just because of how that style ages. Um, but the dude is just a freak. Like the, the, the shit that he's able to do cardio wise, as well as technique wise, like I think he's a special, special athlete, man. And I think once we see him get that opportunity to show his championship mold, uh, we're going to be like, man, this guy is better than Aljamain ever was. And that's not to, sh- that's not to slight Aljamain. I just think styles make fights. And that dude has one of the most intimidating styles to fight against. See, the thing is, is that I look at it as like, it's kind of a blessing that Aljamain is going up because obviously Aljamain doesn't really want to keep fighting too much longer. And because, you know, you have, I feel like the top three is so locked down right mm-hmm. now. Like, Cejudo is such a question mark. He went out of retirement. He jumps right back into the top three. Everyone jumps down one. You know, Marab's not going anywhere because he's not going to fight for anything above himself. So. You know, Sean O'Malley is whatever. Peter Yan is in this downfall right now. And then you have guys that, you know. He'll be back like, real soon. He'll be back. See, that I hope, I hope. Because, you know, that's, you know, you could also do a fight with Peter Yan. If Peter Yan could just get himself a win, depending on that timetable, you could see him first, Henry Cejudo, depending on what Cejudo mm-hmm. wants to do. Like, there's definitely options out there you know song and dong two weeks ago had a fantastic fight against ricky simon that was a you know that really put uh song on the map i felt like song was already building himself up and then you know after he lost to Corey sanhagen the way he did it was you know Corey Corey looks like on another level as well mm-hmm. but you know song came right back and with a dominating win himself so yeah you know, he's wasn't right ready, for that. No. <laughs> was ready it, for that no it, it definitely shows levels to this to this division and now you could do something like song versus cheeto vera because mm-hmm. cheeto and that fight versus Corey sanhagen you thought a lot of people thought cheeto was going to roll right through sanhagen because the hype was around cheeto sanhagen crazy got him down so quickly took the you know constantly switching stances and that seems to be like the i, I would say not the new thing it's been happening forever but that's kind of what's been changing people so ever so slightly with uh, changing their game plan. You know, we saw it where when you switch stances, it kind of throws you off your game plan. Like, oh, wait, like, you know, and that kept happening with Corey, where the game plan changed. We saw it just last week where Bilal Muhammad just kept, you know, changing stances. And uh, Gilbert Burns had almost no answer before the injuries. He just didn't know what to do with himself. Like, I, like I planned for him to be, you know, a stand-up fighter. I didn't expect him to go to Southpaw. How is this happening? You know, that keeps happening. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm really excited. Obviously, the Bantamweight, I feel like, is the most packed. And even if you're unranked, you're really ranked, you know, like in this division with yeah. the top, like you said, top 25, top 35 fighters. You know, they just all happen to be here. It's the, it's the most fun division, I would say, to look at. I, anytime it's a Bantamweight fight, I am fully tuned in because they could be a top 25 fighter, but in... If they take on another fight, they could be top 10. Like, it's just that mm-hmm. quickly, 
that these guys are so close. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you're going to see a lot of these guys just change, go up and down so quickly. And mm-hmm. I want to ask you, starting with, you know, we'll go through 5 through 10 quickly, right? Peter Yan, you just said you think he'll bounce back quickly. I don't know what's next for him. I don't know what they want to do for him. But I hope he can bounce back. I still love everything he does. I, You know, he's had some really, really tough breaks. The The worst like victim of being like unlucky in oh, UFC yeah. history. Honestly, you could argue. I, I mean, this isn't luck, right? It's his fault. He threw the knee, but at the end of the day, you could argue if that didn't happen and everything else plays out differently because of it, like he could be what we know is the best bantamweight ever. Like just yep. bait. Like there's no way you look back at that first fight and think that Aljamain Sterling had a chance. Like, if anything, him going through that in that way is what allowed him to be able to have that championship-level performance the second time they've met. And if things went out, went down the way it seemed they were supposed to, right? Um, I don't know if Aljamain Sterling gets that second chance to get it right against Peter Yan. Absolutely so, um, w- once again, one of the most unluckiest guys in the division. But sorry to cut you off. I just had to throw that out there. No, no, 100%. Because then, you know, after that, you had the, the rematch. And listen... I'll die on this on this hill, but I really felt that Peter Yan and the uh, and the Aljamain Sterling fight the second time was really close, and I would have been totally fine if they gave Yan that one because I thought it was really, 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 really close. And whatever it happened, you know, uh, the body lock got Aljamain those first two rounds easily. I felt that Peter Yan really took it to him in round three and four, and Round five was kind of up in the air, but, you know, whatever. Then you have the Sean O'Malley fight, and I clearly thought he won that one. I would say 99% of us thought that was the case. Didn't happen, so now you're going on three straight L's. And then the Marab fight, which Marab, you know, that camp has fought Peter Yan now three times. So after the first two, you figure out who Yan is. 15 rounds. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And you figure out who Peter Yan is, so you really couldn't be more unlucky for Peter Yan right now. Yeah, I feel for him, and I hope he could get himself back. I hope they give him Sean O'Malley again if Sean O'Malley can't win. Like I just hope he could find his way back in that. So I want to ask you too now. Corey Sandhagen has you know obviously dominated Song Yudong, dominated Cheeto Vera. You know, his loss last was against Peter Yan before the, you know, the losing streaks and, you know, the, well, the humongous losing streak. But what do you see now with Corey Sanding? Another guy that in an alternate universe somewhere, he's he's the best bantamweight we've ever seen, right? Like, and it's not because of being unlucky. It's just the era that he's in. Like, I, I, I feel strongly that he can still be champ regardless of the era he's in, but just the era he's in really takes away from the talent that he is. Cause man, he's one of my favorite fighters and I'll be as unbiased as, as possible when saying that, but this is one of those divisions where it's so crazy because you'll watch someone win and dominate and you're like, man, like that guy's really good. And then three fights later, you're like, hold on, Mario Bautista. How did I hear about Mario? Ba- oh yeah. This was the guy that, he beat coming up and and you're watching those fights and you're like, holy shit. Like it's all coming full circle. That guy wasn't bad. It's just, he was facing Corey Sanhagen. 
So that that Mario Bautista, shout out Mario Bautista. That's another guy who I think could make a run at this division. He's fucking a monster when it comes to the offensive grappling side of things. But as far as San Hagen and where he's headed, I just love <clears throat> the tactical adjustments he makes from fight to fight. Clearly has a different game plan based on who he's fighting, but also just takes his martial arts journey very seriously. And you could tell really really makes changes that not a lot of people can make over the course of their career, where they identify something in themselves. Like, like hearing him talk in general about fighting is fascinating, but please, I encourage you, listen to him talk about his fight against Aljamain and losing in that way and talking about the intensity that he felt that he's like, man, I need to bring that into my game. Like, I need to be that ready to fight when I come in here because just that energy can consume you. And he learned that as a fighter and then began to use that against other fighters. It, it's fascinating to watch his development from that perspective uh, just because he's so cerebral in there. But he's someone that I think not many fight fans will immediately appreciate what he does just because a lot of things he does don't jump out at the screen. Um but he's just so technical and so defensively sound. I think no matter what, he's a top three fighter in this division uh, for years to come. And I hope to see him make a run. I'm not sure that he'll be able to just because there's so many other people that need to get their shot and so many matchups that he needs to win that are just really hard fights, right? Um, so I don't know. I just hope one day we get to see him as champ because his story and just the way he carries himself, um, really, a, like... What's his name? I'm sorry, I just blanked a little bit. Like, almost like the Rich Franklin story of Bantamweight. Like, that guy who's just a workman-like guy that if we were a couple years back, this would be the guy that they'll be propping out there to say, hey, this is what UFC fighters are. Because when people looked at them as these barbarians that were just trying to come and rape and pillage the village, right? He is the opposite of that. And, and much, very much so someone who... Uh, leads with this in, in a way that not a lot of people can appreciate. So I'm a big fan of his upside, and I would love to see him become champ one day. But it's just so stacked, man. There's so many people that he needs to beat to get there. Uh, but he's levels above, man. Shout out to Song. I didn't expect Song Yadong to be able to dominate that like that against um, Ricky Simone. I thought that was a really close fight on paper, and it didn't look close at all. And after you consider the way Corey Sanhagen made him look in the fight prior... Obviously, he he learned many lessons from that and leveled up in the gym after. Uh, but man, when you consider the levels, right? Because he was levels above Ricky Simone. Um, that that's exactly how Sanhagen made him look when they fought. So, I'm a big fan of what he has to offer. Man, don't sleep on Corey. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Because I think I think everyone woke up to that. I think everyone thought Sanhagen could be a contender, and then you know losing to Peter Yan. People were like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, he's always going to be a top five guy, but he'll never be Peter Young. He'll never you know, overcome Al Jermaine. He'll never beat Mirab. He'll never beat those guys, right? And I felt like when he beat Cheeto and everyone was already hyping up Cheeto to be this next big thing, I was like, you know what? I think people are sleeping on Corey again. And I think Corey now is in a kind of a sticky situation because, you know, you could go the route if, if Sean O'Malley loses, giving Corey Sanhagen to Sean O'Malley. You could do that and then jumping him right into the top three, right? Like, mm -hmm. that's a situation you could do. Or, you know, would you run it back with Peter Young again? Because Peter Young's on the downfall. Corey's back, you know, better than ever. You could do something like that and have them do a rematch. Like, there's, there's situations to go there. 
But I want to ask you about three guys in the top ten uh, going down to seven. Cheeto, you know, losing to Corey Sanhagen. He had that dominant fight against Dominic Cruz where at first you thought Cruz looked great, and then you kind of saw the change around middle round two, three, and then obviously the finish at four. But uh, Cruz looked pretty good. He, he, you know, looked like his former self before the injuries, unfortunately. But uh, now with Cheeto taking this loss as dominant as it was basically at home, what do you see what's next for him? Great question, man. I'm such a big Dominic Cruz fan. I just got to let that out there. So thank you for seeing that as well. Me too. too. Because a lot of people just watch these fights, man, and just forget. Like, they, they remember who wins, right? But they never remember how the fight was going. And I, I think that's something that when you really consider Cheeto's career, it's insane that he's had the run that he has. Because every fight he's in, he's not winning till he's winning. Like, most of the time, he is not on his way to winning a decision before he knocks these guys out. So, it's such a weird style. Like, it's a style that... I'm sure. I mean, we see it every time he fights. I'm sure his coaches hate. Like, they, they don't want him to fight that way. Uh, but everyone has their own thing, right? Everyone everyone ticks differently. And I, I'm i a big fan of his game. He's fucking dangerous, man. There's not a lot of uh, 135ers that you look at as dangerous. He's one of those guys. Um, I really like how crafty he is, too, on the inside with the elbows. Like, he does a lot of sneaky things that... Um, could get give guys not only fits, but just change the direction of a fight, right? You open a cut in a certain spot. Now it's an entirely different fight. So I'm a big fan of what he's able to accomplish and the way he reads fighters, like the way he downloads data, so to speak. Uh, one of the best in the game at just figuring you out as things go on. And then as these the rounds continue to progress, not only knowing what you're going to do, but then being able to capitalize on those moments uh, that that's a special fighter. So I think if there's any way that they could get him to have like a fight before the fight, like in the locker room, like get him, get him, get him ready. Right. So that he's already sweating by the time he gets out there and ready to perform and sort of got out the way of those first three rounds. Right. Cause I, I think that's his issue more than anything. Like, I think he could fight for eight rounds, like eight, five minute rounds. Like, I think that's the kind of cardio he has. Um, I just think being fight ready and being in that mental state, I don't know, man, everyone's different. Once again, everyone is different. Every style is different. But when you consider like that approach I was mentioning earlier from Aljamain Sterling, have being ready to go when the, when the fight starts, if he is on go like that, I think he could take people out like super early. Like, I don't think he needs to wait for those things to to fall the way they do. I just think he likes like he's so good at anticipating things and and knowing how to find these things that he likes fighting from that position and i think ultimately that's that's where he really needs to test himself moving forward is to get out of his comfort zone and learn how to sort of put the fight on its head so to speak like change the way you approach this because honestly i i think he he's special man and and i love the 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 pairing with him and uh jason Perillo as well. I'm a big fan of everything that guy does. He's he's a he's a baller, and everyone that goes to train with him, you see the market improvements like they're visible. So shout out to um, Mackenzie Dern coming up in another main event pretty soon in a couple of weeks. Another fighter where you could see the tangible improvements in their game under Perillo. Um, 
I think he's going to continue his upward trajectory. I think he'll, he's also a guy that's going to end up fighting for the title soon, especially if O'Malley finds himself as the champ. Um, I'm sure he can angle his way into that fight sooner than later. Um, but I just don't think this is the end of his run at all. I think Corey Sanhagen is special. Uh, but we saw even in those exchanges, right? There were moments where he gave Corey Sanhagen trouble once he finally was awake, right, and ready to fight. So uh, change change some things up, get back to the drawing board, and figure out how to let that let that baby off the leash earlier, right? Because if if third round Cheeto was there from round one, I don't I don't know who beats him. So I'm a big fan of him and and someone that I also I'm just like man. If this guy figured it out, he would be a mythical fighter. Like he he would be on the level of like a C level cane if he was to able to um start early and and find those openings early. So uh really high on Cheeto, man. Really high on Cheeto. See, I'm gonna throw a couple scenarios because this is what I do, like I said earlier. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna bring you three or two. Let's just start with two. Keep it simple. Two possible options for between five through nine, right? Mm-hmm. What if they did Song Yudong versus Cheeto Vera? And then what two. if they don't forget two, yeah, two. No, the rematch. I know. But I'm saying now, because of the situation, mm-hmm. it would five be probably the best of time to put them in a five round fight now that they are, you know, all the way to, you know, top five, top nine, whatever. I would you know, they're totally different fighters now than they were when they first fought. So you could do that now, and then maybe because I don't think the UFC wanted nor anybody wanted Rob Font to win against Adrian Yanez. I felt like it, it. I feel like sometimes the UFC can show their hand a little, mm-hmm. and I felt like they were really pushing for Yanez to win. I think they wanted the fans to hype him up to win, mm-hmm. and the fact that Rob Font won the way he did, and as dominant as it was, everyone knew it was going to be a crazy fight. But I don't think anyone thought Rob Font would, you know, come out with his hand raised. So, yeah. could you think of a situation where Rob Font maybe fights Peter Yan? Do you think the UFC would give him a top five fight, or do you think they would keep Rob Font down and fight someone either like, you know, Dominic Cruz who's ten, and keep him fighting the guys underneath him? Because you got to figure out a situation for Peter Yan, right? He's gonna want to fight again. He already wants to fight again because he needs to get that winning streak going. Mm-hmm. Do you want to give him someone like Peter Yan? I mean, like like Rob Font, or, you know, do you want him to have that rematch against Corey Sanhagen? You know, now that Sanhagen's have such a, a, a much better trajectory towards his career now, and Peter Yon's kind of, everyone thinks of him, he's on the end of his career. You know, it's not even close to true. So do you do that? Like, what what do you see next for at least these three guys? Whew, that's a tough one. I like... I like that first matchup, man. Give me Song Yadong versus Cheeto in a five-round fight. That's another fight you could argue went either way. Like, that was a, such a close fight in a three-rounder. So a five-rounder feels almost um, inevitable, right? Um, I still feel like I picked Cheeto in that one. I'm not sure, but I still feel like I picked Cheeto in that one. I disagree with you now. That's a much better fight. I agree. All that's right. a much better fight than it was that first time. I, I feel... I feel... Song is on a different level now, and uh, remember, we ju- we're we're thinking of like this is something that I hate too, right? Respectfully, sorry to cut you off, bro, but no, no, I good. hate when people are coming off of, and and, th- and this isn't a knock at you, but like people are coming off of 
a loss against someone and then it changes the way like people perceive them entirely and like i know he did not look good trust me he did not look good against Corey sanhagen at all but i don't think there's many guys that do right so it's one of those things where you you kind of i mean i agree i think the bookies will agree with you too you kind of want to fade him because of that performance but also because of how good song yadong looked um but i i think you can't go you can't be wrong either way like if you're betting on either of those guys in that scenario it's kind of like you you trust them to fight for your money 100 percent. so i like it but give me your case why why you why are you going with song 100 percent? because of the last three fighters the last three fights between them right i give you know yes i feel like that does taint you know the the look a little bit when you see Chino lose to Corey, you think, oh, yeah, he's just another guy. But I really like what Song has done. You know, I know losing to Corey, just like Cheeto did, mm-hmm. but his dominant victory over Marlon Moraes at the time, and then the way he defeated Ricky Simon, and I thought that was going to be a dogfight between the two of them. And I, there were a lot of people who were picking Ricky to win it because they were Me? already. I was one yeah, of them. Because and a lot of people felt that way because they felt that, you know, because of the way Song lost to uh, Sanhagen, that that might be where Song lies. Like, he might be just a top five guy. But I, I – and I'm not saying that's what you felt. I felt like a lot of people felt that way. For sure. And I feel right now, Cheeto, the, the decision went over Rob Font. I, I, I really did like that fight, and I, – that was a great fight. You know, there's a, obviously the big question mark between when when he fought Sean O'Malley, and that mm-hmm. fight's going to definitely happen again one day, regardless of wherever they are. That that fight will happen again. But, sure. you know, the Dominic Cruz fight was another one where you felt just like the San Diego fight where you're just waiting for Cheeto to get going. And this, But with that one, you know, Cheeto got going early. And earlier than the San Diego fight. And, you know, got that incredible head kick so to speak you know Cruz went right into it broke his nose you know whatever and that was it for Cruz which really sucked I really wanted Cruz to have one more run but you know like you look at that and people look uh, well now thinking about it with the San Diego fight was that you know just perfect timing with the kick was it just happened to work out that way is Cheeto really this dominant guy that we think thought he was and I think Song is just so dominant right now like, he is, yeah, this is the best he's ever looked, especially with the Ricky Simon fight. Even when he got dominated by Sanhagen, you saw a lot of promise there. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he kind of jumped up quickly. You beat Marias, and then you're fighting Sanhagen. Like, that's a big jump sure. in talent and difficulty. And that's what I hate that the UFC does. But I get it at the same time. But Just so if they fight again. Smashing them toys, right? Just smashing those toys against 100%. each other. And I think now, you know, you don't want to make that big jump again. But, you know, you could do something like Song versus Cheeto Vera 2 and then see who really is right behind Sanhagen. Who really is that guy? Because depending on what they want to do with Peter Yan, which I, if I were them and you want to ride Sanhagen, you would give him Peter Yan too. Like, that's what you would do. You know, now that their careers are on completely different trajectories, you would want to run that back because you're looking at them com- almost completely opposite that you did the first time they fought each other. And... You could do something like that. Maybe it's a little too early, but you know you got to figure out what you got to do with Peter Yan too, and you know that leads to the question with Rob Font. I don't see the UFC ever giving Rob Font what he deserves and giving him a fighter above him. Mm-hmm. Like they keep constantly giving him 
the guys that they want to pass him. And yeah. so I could see like someone like Umar Nurmagomedov coming Ooh. in to fight Rob Font. I'd be so and, mad if I was Rob. Like, what the yeah, fuck, guys? I, I would be too. But I, Rob's probably pissed right now because yeah. it, you, you have to be you would have to be blind not to see what they're doing. Mm. And they're probably as clear. It, it's probably as clear cut as you're gonna get where Rob Font is trying to be pushed out of the top ten. Yeah. Right. Just like they're trying to do with Dominic Cruz. Like Dominic Cruz there. They're going to look at as a guy passes prime, like big name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could sell a fight night with this or even, you know, like a third or fourth fight on a main card. But he's never going to be a championship guy again. We're never going to allow that to happen and you know, whatever. So mm-hmm. Dominic Cruz is 10, I believe, right now. You, know, you could do something like that. But I would never see a situation where they do Cruz versus Font. It's just, you know, both those guys, they don't want there. They want to bring up the kids that, like we said, there's top – 35 fighters. They want to push those guys out so quickly and get the, the two Nurmagomedovs, Umar and Said, right up there so then you could talk <laughs> about them. You could hype them up. You could get Khabib in the corner again for no reason. There's just so much that the UFC is going to want to do to yeah. kind of make it like a WWE thing. But I don't know, man. It, it's tough. I, I, I think Song would take it. I think Song would come up with a game plan where everybody knows that Mar- Cheeto takes a really long time to get ready. And I think if Song could backpack three rounds right off the bat and just avoid getting knocked out just like Sanhagen did, you know, I don't think Song's going to switch stances all the time to keep, you know, Cheeto, like, guessing all the time. But if I ha- if they were fighting tomorrow, I would say Song has the competitive edge, and I would I would give it to him. Oof. That, I love it. I, lo- I love the way you broke that down, man. I agree with you on most things. I think... For me, what really made the difference in picking that fight was I I didn't think he could, A, stay within himself the way he did, but then B, like, I thought the fatigue was what was going to set them apart in that matchup. And the fact that he was able to stay in a gear where he didn't have to overextend himself. Like, that's something that I watch for often, man. A lot of the times going into fights, a lot of people are just saying, man, this guy has better cardio, so he's going to win. And... As a blanket statement, that sounds good. But if you're not forcing them to dip into their tank, so to speak, it doesn't matter how good your cardio is if you're not testing your opponent's cardio. If you're letting them sort of stay on the back foot and do their thing, right, and establish their range, doesn't matter how much your cardio is because you're not using it, right? You're not weaponizing it. Um, so that's what made the difference for me, man. That was the the most eye-opening thing for me in that performance was just how how well well he did at staying efficient and and staying within himself but also landing big shots and really changing the way Ricky Simone saw himself in that fight. By the end of the third, it, it really felt like he was selling out and trying to find the moment to win because he knew it was over. Like and that's how big of a gap there was there skill-wise. I don't mind that rematch at all. I would love to see it. The reason why I would go with Cheeto in the rematch is a having the momentum of winning the first fight. I know it doesn't mean much, right? Cause it was such a close fight. Could have went either way. Um, but having that momentum does something, but also just the way he builds, I still am not confident that if you're fighting someone that can make you work on the feet, the way you not, the way you don't want to, um, that you're able to keep that up long-term. Uh, so don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of both guys. I think that'll be an awesome fight, and it's not going to be easy. Like, whoever wins, they're going to have to go through hell to to get it. But 
Um, I, I would go with Cheeto in that one. I agree. I think, whew, I feel so bad for Rob Font, man, because there's just so many good fighters, man. There's so so many good fighters in this division. There's nowhere to to get an easy one, right? And it feels like he deserves one. Um, I think his next fight is against Peter Yan, man. And that's big time, right? That's that's big time. But I think that is almost a bounce back fight for Peter Yan, right? It's, it speaks. That's more... exactly why I said that. Yep. Mm-hmm. It speaks really to how how good he is. That that's a a bounce back fight because Rob Font is dangerous, man. And he always has been, and is someone that wears damage and takes damage very well. Like you, if you're gonna take him out of there, he's not gonna take himself out of there. You you gotta you gotta really make the difference. So. That's a hell of a fight. And I agree, man. I, I would hate to see it just because I'm such of a fan. But if there's anyone in that top 15 that deserves the, the Umar fight, right, at this stage of their career, it's Dominic Cruz, right? You got to you gotta try to – listen, I say this with all due respect, but you got to kill the legends, right? You got to let them know the time is over, right? Shout, shout out to the Heavy Hands boys on, on the Heavy Hands podcast, always talking about – you got to kill these old guys, man. You can't let them think they're still uh, relevant. Um, so that's that's a fight I would like to see, not just for the sake of murdering Dominic Cruz, um, but just to get the division moving, right, as well as uh, to really see where, where Cruzy still is. Because I think, I think that's a fight where we learn a lot about one guy and not the other. Um, so ultimately, it sounds cruel, right? It sounds like I'm just laughing at, at, at Dom Cruz and his demise, but... I think that's that's a fight that's needed for this division just because who else is he going to fight in that top 15? Dominic Cruz on the way up. I don't see anyone. And then the same thing goes for for Umar. Like who else above him is going to take that? I don't I don't think anyone. So that that's the matchups I like for that side of the division. But man, you can't go wrong. Like fucking put him in a hat, mix him up and draw two names out. It's going to be a fucking banger. Like that's just how this division is. Um, but man, I can't wait. We we got to my favorite part, right? The part of this episode where we get to look ahead and preview the dark horses of this division because it's hard to find them. There's so many good guys in the top 15. It's hard to find someone outside of it and be like, hey, man, this is the guy that I think could make a run. So I'm putting you on the spot, Sean. I got to do it. Who who are some of the guys you see outside of the top 15 that you think could make a run at Bantamweight? See, this is tough because I was not ready for this one. But, hmm, you definitely, you're bringing it on me quick. All right, so I would say outside of the top 15 right now, hmm, that's tough. That's tough because I still believe Adrian Giannis can make his way back up even after that loss. I don't want to say him because everyone's going to say him. <laughs> but you could, I think, Get rid of the legends, and well, I shouldn't say legends. Get rid of the veterans: Cub Swanson, Cody Garbrandt. Mm-hmm. Done. Dominic Cruz. I think that's done. I think Cody and Dominic will fight one more time before one of them retires. That's but, a great fight too. Yeah, because you have that rematch. You have that title fight rematch. Both of them at the end of their careers. You know, yeah. Cody doesn't know what division to stay in. But I would say, oh man, I want to say. I don't know if it's Javid or Javid. I'm going to say Javid because that sounds like that makes more sense. So I'm going to go with him. But that seems too easy. Got me. That seems too easy for me. So I want to also say Victor Henry because 
that fight against Asuncao, I thought, I felt like it was a little early for him to be fighting someone like him. You know, he, I, you know, I, I, I think Rafael is a great fighter. He's had some bad luck along the route of his career. But I, I have those two. There's, there's so many guys. I, I, there's so many guys I could, I could talk about. And if you want to go even super dark horse with this, this is tough uh man i don't know now you have me on the spot for this but if i had to go top 40 then give me cameron solomon four years from now he'll be in the top five super 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 dark horse i like that i like that Man, I'm shook. I'm shook. You took two of my names off the board, so I'm really going to have to go deep. I agree, though. I love Javid Basharat's game. The dude is a orthodox Conor McGregor. Convince me I'm wrong. On the feet, he is an orthodox Conor McGregor. I didn't think of that. Hmm. Dude, the style, like it. like it's, it. It, it's eerily similar if you watch them on the feet. It's crazy. But he has a much better grappling base, which makes him more exciting as a prospect. I really like his... Um, his his prospects in this division a guy that you didn't mention though that i'm shocked i'm i'm almost appalled that his name didn't get added my guy honestly this is the guy i would put all the ships on to montel jackson uh this dude no matter who talks about him they won't let you forget that he has the one of the biggest hands in the ufc <laughs> they always mention that he has bigger hands than francis Ngannou. uh the dude is just such a weird build for 35. Like it's very rare to find someone that tall and that long at 135, but doesn't look skinny, like has real physical attributes at 35 and yet has that length. Scary, scary, big time, scary to fight that guy. And then these are the, these are the two, right? These are the two that I think don't get the love, but are really on their way. First Mario Bautista, a guy that we talked about a little bit earlier. I think Sell, take your grandmother, seller, and bet the farm on Mario Bautista to win against Cody Garbrandt. I think that is his fight. Ten times out of ten, he wins that fight. Uh, so I'm a big fan of his game. Another guy that I didn't expect to really turn a corner and become someone in this division. Uh, three submissions in a row, though. You love to see that out of a young prospect. And then finally, the name that no one's going to expect, the name that no one probably knows how to pronounce. Uh, but one of my favorite fighters, the Mongolian Knight, Alatang Haley, uh, UFC China represent, baby. Uh, he's one of those guys that are really buried on the undercards when he fights. Uh, but his build for this division is scary. And he has real power um, at bantamweight that's rare to find. There's a lot of guys that I could rattle off to that I'm a big fan of that aren't doing too hot, but I think could also bounce back, like Tony Gravely, uh, Miles Johns. These are all really young guys at 35 that really have big-time potential despite coming off of losses recently. Um, but, man, there's so many good fighters. Well, uh, this is another one who we haven't heard from in a long time. Ronnie Lawrence. You remember the the, the prospect, the hype that was Ronnie Lawrence? Uh, the guy's good, man. So, this bantamweight, you're in amazing hands. Like, no matter what, the UFC, there's if there's one division that you can't fuck this up in, it's bantamweight. So love to see me some bantamweight fights. And the fact that there's this many guys we could talk about outside the top 15 is nuts. This is that division where you'll be talking about 
these names that are in the top 10 now might be guys we look past in like a year from now with all these kids coming. And like this, obviously, this is the most packed division of them all. So, you know, like, first of all, I want to say about Montel, I like Montel, but I think he's 32. And I don't know. I just have this feeling with him where he might just be a little overhyped for me. But mm-hmm. I do feel that he is going to crack the top 10 in a year from now, top you know, two years from now. I just don't feel like he'll ever be a champion, if that makes any sense. That's fair. And it's something we'll see uh, moving forward. But I don't know. I just have this feeling with him where he is so super dominant. And I just feel that eventually, though, like, meet his maker if that makes sense there's just gonna be someone who beats him and then he'll never be that same guy that we thought he once was mm-hmm. so i i that's sure. just that's just me but that's that's what i that's what i feel with him that is all fair and i just gotta say man this just speaks to the level of these two divisions right because at this point i think we're done I think we've already went two hours, right? Like we we anticipated to be able to get in four more divisions, um, but that's how deep bantamweight and featherweight really is, man. We just spent two hours on two divisions, um, but I think these really deserve it. I think, honestly, for my money, these are my favorite divisions. Lightweight is in that conversation too, but bantamweight and featherweight just, in my opinion, set themselves apart with a how deep they are, and then b how good the upper echelon is like there's 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 levels always in in mixed martial arts but in those divisions specifically man it's gonna take you three years to make a run to be in the top 15 like that's 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 scary bro like in heavyweight you could get one good fight and find yourself in the top 20 for sure um these divisions that's not happening man like you would have to fight fight somebody really good on short notice or something like that um, so with all that being said, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna tease you guys for an episode three. We're going to get these other divisions out real soon, but are there any other things you want to mention before we get out of here about these two divisions or any of the divisions to come? I really look forward to talking about the flyweight division on our next one, but I also want to see how the UFC takes care of the kids coming up. Like I've mentioned you know, taking it slow and how they want to decorate the veterans and the legends that are going to be on their way out. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't consider Max Holloway on his way out at all, but eventually he will get there, you For know, sure. depending on what happens with Volkanovski. I know Volkanovski wants to be a double champ and he wants to make both divisions and be the first one to, you know, not vacate the belt and actually fight at both which would just make everything much, much worse for Holloway. Like, at that point, Holloway's literally mm-hmm. got nowhere to go at all. <laughs> and then, you know, you got guys that are were champions on their way out, someone like Cody Garbrandt, who won his last fight, but you know, it seems like you know the chin is not what it once was. He might be on the way out there, and then you might see someone like Dominic Cruz, who I look at as like a top 15 talent right now where he could beat anyone at any given night but age and injuries have definitely caught up to once he was what he once was and i would say my last question to you 
my very last question to you is I asked you this about the featherweights, and I'm going to ask you this about the bantamweights. Who is your UFC bantamweight goat? Do you give it to Cruz? Do you give it to Dillashaw, the Cejudos? Do you give it to Aljamain? Do you give it to Peter Yan? Who do you consider the bantamweight goat ever in UFC history? Man. I think it's a 1A, 1B situation. I think 1A to this day. Shout out Deontay Wilder. To this day, it's got to be Dominic Cruz. Like, Dominic Cruz is the most dominant. Respect. Um, the most dominant force this division ever seen. There's nobody that has had the kind of run that he has had. And obviously, that gets overlooked, especially by a lot of newer fans, because people just don't get it, right? Like, people weren't around. They didn't see it. Uh, but Uriah Faber was a big star, right? This was the... Volkanovsky, Max, Max Holloway before it ever existed, right? That, that ex- was exactly the situation in that division back in the day. So, um, Dominic Cruz is one A and one B. This is where things are going to get surprising. Aljamain Sterling, Aljamain Sterling is one B, and it's it kind of sucks that we're not going to see him stay at bantamweight because I think that's where he could have separated himself. I think he needs two more. If he was able to get two more defenses, I think he's undisputed GOAT at bantamweight. Um, But just because of the way things are probably going to shake out, especially if he doesn't look too good. Like, like, don't get me wrong. He's a champion, and at the end of the day, in order to be a champion in UFC, you got to fucking win. And he's been a winner. But he hasn't been a dominant champion. He hasn't been someone that has looked the part of the champion, if that makes sense. He hasn't had that exemplary moments where we're like, man, this guy is so fucking good, but that's unfair. It's almost like a part of the hype machine, right? Like, because you could see those moments happen, um, but it's just the parts of the game that not many fans like watching, right? Unfortunately. Um, so I'm a big fan of Aljo and his skill set. So that's why I got him at one B. Um, but I don't think we'll, we'll ever see him be able to close that gap just because of the situation at Bantamweight. What about you? Yeah, no, that was ex- I had it as Cruz at one, and then, you know, maybe recency bias there, but Aljamain would probably be two for me. Though. He's got the longest winning streak in Bantamweight history, or tied for it right now. Hmm. Um, you know, he's got three title defenses, but he'll always have the big asterisk there, or the big conversation point of one. You know, you you got your belt off the disqualification. You arguably. Very arguably lost the second fight to Peter, but you know, I disagree. There. I think I no, think I, that I, fight I, was clear. I don't see that's that's a debate where people say, "Oh, mm-hmm. Peter won." In that moment, I thought Peter won. Watching the fight back, I thought Aljamain won. So it's very very close. And then you get the Dillashaw fight, him coming back off all that time. You know, he beat Stan Hagen, whatever. But you know, that fight with Dillashaw with the shoulder, like. Like, yeah, it's a perfect name to the resume, but you didn't beat him at Dillashaw's best. You didn't beat Dillashaw, you know, during his prime, which if EPO had something to do with that, you know, whatever. But you don't know, and especially with the with the shoulder, you don't really know if Dillashaw was going to be that guy. And then you beat Cejudo three years out of retirement, clearly on the ring rust, which was, and then you have a very, very, very arguable fight there where obviously I think majority of us thought he won. But the scorecard show, like, it could have gone anywhere. And mm-hmm. you know, people are already talking about if Cejudo just beats Marab, you have to run that back. 
So, you know, there's a lot there. And then if you beat Sean O'Malley, people are just going to go, oh, Sean O'Malley's just a super deck or glorified, you know, top 15 guy. Like, he should have never been there anyway. He been. There's always going to be. He's never going to get that respect. So, throughout the time of UFC, and especially the way he's going to just lead the division to let Marab have it, people will always say, oh, well, he, you know, he's not going to fight his teammate Marab because Marab would have washed him. And so, you know, you're going to have that argument. And so mm-hmm. when you have that, when Dominic Cruz didn't have that, he was just better than everyone. And then injuries beat him. You know, his mm-hmm. body beat him. And that's what happened to Dominic Cruz. While Aljamain is always going to have, well, that guy wasn't this. That guy was hurt. That guy was three years off. That guy was two years off. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's not going to fight the real number one contender. He's going to fight a glorified top 15 guy. Mm-hmm. You're going to have all that. So with that said, I Cruz is has to be number one for me. In, mm-hmm. I hate Dillashaw. I really do. Dillashaw's probably two or three. Mm-hmm. Depending on how Aljamain finishes up his Bantamweight career, I would say I would say Aljamain two right now and then you have Dillashaw at three. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's probably how I have my top three. That's very fair, man. I think I always take TJ off that list just because of the controversy, right? Um, but I'm a big fan, man. I, I think either way you go with the division, you can't be mad. And no matter how it shakes out, like we, we've got the bantamweight division is in good hands, bro. That's all that matters. Um, and and I, I think personally, too, sadly, I hate to even mention them in the same breath. Um, but Dominic Cruz is really in that BJ Penn territory where the more he fights and the more things sort of don't go his way. Uh, the more issues he could potentially run into long term where people are looking at his legacy and saying, hey, man, how could you say he's this level of a, a champion or this level of a historic figure in the division when all I can remember is the last time I saw him get knocked out the last four or three times, right? So it's one of those situations where it's almost like just retire for the, the sake of that, right? But um, I, I can't be mad at seeing a legend still compete and I love his fire for the game, so... Big fan, big respect, big ups to Dominic Cruz. Please, if you're uninformed, go watch his title run because it's really impressive and honestly very ahead of his time. Like, you watch him fight, he has his own fighting style. There's not many fighters who entirely distinct that you could watch him in a, a silhouette version of him fighting. And you know who that you know who that guy is just because he's made his own style and really have found a lot of success doing it. So... Sean, this was dope, man. Thank you so much again for coming on. It's yes, always sir. a blast, and I can't wait to get you back on it real soon again to do it <laughs> all over again because we still got some divisions to run through. But please give the people your socials, where they can find you, what you got going on, any major dates, any major releases. Uh, I don't know. Maybe a birthday's coming. I don't know. You just got to throw <laughs> it out there. Let the people know. What's going on with you, Sean? No, I got, I got nothing going on right now. Just... Uh... I guess follow me on Twitter at Sean Negron 26 and yes, you can see all my other podcasts on there. You can see my website on there. And uh, if you ever want to talk sports, you ever want to get involved in the sports world, write about your favorite team, sport, anything you want, athlete, shoot me a DM and I will help you the best way I can. That is awesome, man. Please check out. I'm his still stuff. waiting on your debut, by the way. I know. Literally, every time, every time we talk about this, it's kind of like um, 
you know that moment where your teacher brings up the homework that 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 oh, they assigned yes. and you're like oh fuck i left it at home like that yeah. that's how i feel every time we talk about the website <laughs> so yeah definitely i'm like oh don't don't pick on me but yes yeah, yeah. i i definitely will be making my debut soon and doing these episodes kind of makes me feel like i think that's my place just a division watch division watch and and really laying these things out cuz i think honestly if we wanted to we could we could go an episode on each division and just kind of go back 100%. and forth on all the different 100%. things. Uh, that, We're fighting the clock. That's how yeah, it goes each and literally, every time. Literally. So make sure that you check his stuff out and and check out his website as well. A lot of dope stuff to come. You can find me at Negron MMA on Twitter as well as Chris Negron underscore. Uh, things have been a little bit slow, but really looking to pick stuff up again um, and sort of have a big big ending to 2023 i know the early part of 2023 hasn't been too action-packed uh but please expect big things to come got a lot of episodes on the way so please check it out and get ready for the the mma archive to come back in a real big way as well so looking forward to all of that once again thank you so much for joining this has been amazing and make sure that you give us a like you comment you subscribe you do all that good stuff to, to show us you appreciate what we're doing because at the end of the day uh we do it for you we do it for the love but we do it for y'all so please let us know what you're thinking uh, participate in the conversation right let's yeah, get this dialogue open let's get this dialogue exactly. open uh so looking forward to hearing some more stuff from you guys with all that being said sean it's a pleasure as always we'll catch you next time on the sideline guys mma edition peace